You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about an opportunity. The other thing we're going to talk about is a parable that uh, Jesus said. This is coming from Luke, the 19th chapter. That's where we're at. If you have version, you can go to version. Uh, of the Bible on your app. Go down at the bottom and click the little more button over on the left hand side. Click events. It'll bring up Freedom Fellowship and you'll be able to follow along with me. I've got a lot of the notes and things in there and it also is a way for you to be able to take that home with you if you want to think about it more. There are some people that when they reflect on their life they think I'm really just a lost cause. You know, my life is such that I'm not redeemable. I've just done so much dumb stuff in my life, I don't know how in the world that I can ever recover from all the dumb stuff I've done. How do I ever put that behind me, and how do I recover from that? Even some of us may be sitting here today, and, and we're professed Christians, perhaps, and And we may say the same thing. We may have those very thoughts about our value, the fact that we're we're just not redeemable. We may have those things actually, even though here we know better because we talk about that up here and you read about it, but yet it can still creep back in and still kind of haunt us and take us back to those kind of feelings. This morning we're going to talk about a guy and This guy that we're going to talk about to start with, he had two strikes against him. He was a man that was despised because of his job. He had a job that put him out there and, and believe me, uh, would not have been the favorite person on the block. He was also despised because of his wealth. And people would have looked at his wealth because he was a rich man, and they would have looked at his wealth and they would have thought, that's dirty wealth. The way he got that, that was wrong. He may be wealth, but he came to it by all the wrong means. And it was a result of oppressing taxes and regulations by the Romans, and this person was responsible to make sure that that all happened. Those two strikes, his job and his money, were not a great combination when it came to winning friends amongst the Jewish population. People of that city had a preconceived notion of who this character Zacchaeus was. And for that matter, they also had a preconceived notion of many of them of who Jesus was. And so it appears that in our study today that Zacchaeus, as we start to read about him in a moment, when we, when we hear about Zacchaeus, it seems that he wants to be re- both repentant and to make amends. Now repentant, repentant is he really wanted his life to be radically different. If you've ever asked for repentance, if you've repented about something, you're really asking that your life change, that there be that. You know, the kind of the standard preachy kind of thing that they talk about is repentance literally is when you're going one way and you say, I don't want to do this anymore, I want to go this other way. And so he, he was under the, the, this impression and this feeling that he needed to be repented. He wanted things to be radically different. He wanted to make amends, and amends is really just 
when you're trying to go to somebody else and you're trying to make things right. Places you've offended may be taking advantage of them. But he wanted to make things right. You could hear that. So join me as we pick up the 19th chapter, the 19th chapter, verse 1 of Luke. And this is where it starts. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He was on route, by the way, to his final trip going to Jerusalem. That's where he was passing through on the way to. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, and I was telling the praise team they had to endure me actually singing part of that song, but, but it's hard to read because when you think about the, the, the song, the children's song about Zacchaeus, then, you know, you see things that you, you kind of go, okay, I, I can't read that and not sing it. Anybody want to sing that with me? I know it's a challenge, but, but you remember the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed him by, am I showing He looked up in the tree, and what did he say? Zacchaeus, you come down from there. I'm going to your house today. Well, when you look at this and you read this verse, you say, oh, hey, they just went to Scripture. And they pulled that right out of there because that's what he said. He said that Zacchaeus had ran ahead. He climbed up in a sycamore tree because he was short and he couldn't see. He was trying to see over this large crowd that was assembled. And he wanted to see Jesus coming his way. But when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down, and at once he welcomed him gladly. Now, the scene changes now. What we've done is we've gone from this roadside adventure that's going on, and now we've actually moved to Zacchaeus' home when we get to verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. I just think, you know, they were thinking, how dare he associate with someone like that? How dare he do that? You know, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's kind of a, I thought, how many times have I done something similar to that? How many times have I seen somebody's life and been critical? Maybe I didn't have all the information, but maybe I, maybe I looked at a circumstance and then I decided, hmm, you know, and, and that's what they were doing. They were making this judgment that here is this man, this quote-unquote supposed to be this holy man, and what he's going to do, he's actually going to the house to be the guest of a sinner, which would, in fact, like Bob, or Brother Bob talked about being unclean, that would make him unclean. He's, he's associating with these sinners. It's far away from the lesson we, we stay, we've studied also about the verse that says, that you without sin cast the first stone. They were throwing some pretty big stones, hurling in their direction. But in verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. So he was trying to make amends. He's acknowledged the Lord. He's, he's, 
he's done that. You can see repentance starting to take hold in him. And now he's trying to say, you know, part of this repentance, I, I've, I've got I've to clean up some of this stuff I did. I've got to, some of the things I've done and the problems I've created, I've got to go back and at least try to make those things right. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abram. Abram, which of course is Abraham. Abraham, in the old line of Jews, so what he's saying, this man is, he, he may be a tax collector and everybody may hate him, but the reality is he's cut from the same cloth. He's Jewish by blood, he's Jewish by faith. And he said, so I've come to your house you're a, you're a son of Abraham. I've come to your house, and to your house today comes salvation. So ask yourself, well, why? Why did salvation come to the house of Zacchaeus? Why did that happen? Well, perhaps it's because Zacchaeus was going to forgive the debts of a lot of people. And so that would kind of curry some favor. You know, he's going to do some good things here. He's going to, he's going to pay back some money. Maybe he maybe he gives some money to the ministry. I mean, Jesus and his band. I mean, they're they're traveling pretty light. It's kind of a bare bones operation. You know, maybe he's going to Zacchaeus's house because probably some money, or perhaps what he's going to do. He's going to maybe he's going to dedicate something to the temple. Maybe he's going to give something to the temple, and maybe that's a good reason to go to his home. Or perhaps he's going to fund a scholarship. That'd be a good thing. We need a scholarship for priests. Maybe it'll just fund a scholarship. That'd be another good reason to go. Or maybe, maybe Jesus is going to go because he's thinking, hey, I get a warm meal there. That'll be hospitality. I can, I can get off of these tired feet for a little bit. But we understand that, that that's not at all what happened. Neither of those is true because what Jesus went for, he's, he went because of the show of faith that Zacchaeus made toward him. That's why he went. He didn't go for all that other stuff. It made zero difference to him. But he went because it was the show of faith of Zacchaeus because he realized how much effort, and he, and he understood the heart that that man must have. Now, what Jesus, I thought, was interesting as I was thinking through this is Jesus didn't come for what he could get. He came for what he could give. Let me say that again. Jesus didn't come for what he could get. He came for what he could give. And so many times in our life, that's something we need to think about because the reality for us is the Lord has so much to offer us, so much to offer us. And it's not just a, he's not just a vending machine so that I ask this and I get this, but the reality is he has so much to contribute to our lives even beyond the eternity. Jesus didn't go to get an attaboy. He went there because he was concerned for Zacchaeus' soul. And he understood, and I think hopefully you understand, that the reality is if, if, if a person's heart is right, guess what happens? If their heart is right, then all of a sudden their priorities in life start to change to become more like Christ. And that's the goal, right? Because what we want to do and what, what he hopes Zacchaeus is to do, this change of heart, we start to see already that we're seeing this change in priorities from doing the Romans bidding to decide, I, you know, I've, I've been doing bad things to people. 
I've got to make those things right. In verse 10, it goes on, it says, For the Son of Man, Jesus referred to himself often in that reference, but the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's a good example, really, and that you could actually, as I thought through it, you could do a whole sermon on that one line. That he came, why did he come? In very simple terms, why did Jesus come? He came to seek and to save. Two things, two words. He came to seek and to save. And the reality for this, what he did is he sought Zacchaeus right out of the branches of a tree. And that man went from being a lost man to a saved man. Isn't that a great thing? For some of you maybe that you may have come to faith as a, as a child. But for some of you, you came to your faith as an adult. And you really even understand clearly what that means when you've said, Lord, I want to surrender my life. It wasn't some natural process of growing up in a Christian home, but you made a conscious choice that said, Lord, I want to surrender my life. I don't want to be a lost man. I want to be a saved man. I don't want to be a lost woman. I want to be a saved woman. Even a despised man like Zacchaeus, when you think about it, he took Zacchaeus and he picked him up off of the salvage pile and decided what he could do is he could literally make him new again. That's scriptural, right? Because we're born again, we're a brand new creature. We're a brand new creation. And that's what he was doing with him. He was taking this despised man doing these despised things and he was taking him off of the salvage pile and says, you know what? You can do great things in the time ahead of you. You could be made whole again. Now, we start moving on. And I'll admit, if you know me, my head is full of many random thoughts. If you've been around me any at all, my head is full of many random thoughts. But I'll tell you this. As we see Jesus having this discussion and going to Zacchaeus' home, he's on his way to Jerusalem, remember. As we see that happening we see that Jesus' thoughts, they weren't random at all. Think about the circumstance he was in. He really knew that he had this compact time. Think back three years of your life. And you know, when we think about three years of our life, that's not very long. And you think about how fast that's gone. Just think about something that's happened in your life. Maybe you're an, a high school student, a college student. Maybe it's a job you've been at. But you just think about three years back and you go, wow, it just seems like that was just yesterday. Well, see, that's, that's Jesus, literally his entire ministry. And so he doesn't have time for a lot of random thoughts. What he's doing is he's focused on the fact that what he did is what did he come for? He came for two things. He came to, let me hear it, seek and to save. So he understood what he was here for. And so what he was trying to do, it's, it's kind of like your parents, you know, I don't know if you've been down this path, you know, but you're getting ready to send your kid off to college and, and you're thinking, okay, there's all this stuff I haven't told them. And so you try to jam it into the last five minutes before they get out of the car because you just know there's just so much stuff. Well, Jesus understood the same thing. He understood, I have this short amount of time to communicate God's word, this truth, this, this understanding of this whole uh, just a whole different concept than what the Jews were living under. 
So what he's trying to do is he's trying, every chance he gets, he's trying to make a deposit into the life of those believers, into those disciples and apostles. He's trying to make a deposit of the truth into them. So we go on to the parable of the ten minus. It's kind of interesting when you think about it because here's a story that, that has been now taught for 2,000 years. You talk about staying power. It's been taught for 2,000 years. So in verse 11 it says this. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear there. So part of what he's trying to do in this parable that we're going to talk about in just a minute, he's trying to help them understand. He's trying to dispel this feeling that, okay, so what we're doing is we got this kingdom and we got this guy and he's, we're probably going to buy him a white horse and get him a couple of flaming swords and he's going to ride through and he's going to, all these Romans will be gone and boy, we'll, just, we'll have heaven right here on earth. And he's trying to dispel that and say, that's not how it's going to be. So he's going to tell this story because he understands already. See, this is the last time. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he understands this is the last trip to Jerusalem, and he understands, too, that it will not end well from a perspective of his physical state. It'll end well for us, but not for his physical state. He says this. He starts his parable. He said, he said, a man of noble birth, and that represents Jesus, went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of the servants and he gave them ten minas. And a mina is roughly two or three months' wages, so it's a fair amount of money. So he'd given them, he'd given them each, or until I, it, it, let me back up a little bit, ten, his ten servants he gave him and he gave them ten minas. He tells them this, this is key, put this money to work, he said, until I come back. So intimating when he's saying it, he's saying, until I come back. So he said, I'm going to be gone for a while. Now, if they're really kind of absorbing what he's saying, but, you know, I thought about that too. I thought, why didn't he just say, hey, this is the way it's going to be, and he gives them like five bullet points and said, this is the way it's going to work out. But I was thinking, I wonder if it had been like that. I wonder if 2,000 years later, we would literally be tearing this apart again and trying to absorb and understand the lesson that he has for us. I don't know that that would have happened. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. He's saying this is something that people are going to study, they're going to talk about, and they're going to have some little bit different ideas, but hopefully they're going to get to the same finishing point. So he had ten servants. Each one had one mina, and he told them what? He said, put it to work. And he said, notice, just notice what he said. Put it to work. Don't sit on it. Don't just do nothing with it. But what you need to do is put it to work. Use these resources that I have given you until I get back. But the subjects in verse 14, but the subjects hated him, and they sent a delegation after him to say, Why, we, we don't want this man to be our king. Well, you know, the reality is the Jewish establishment sure didn't want that, did it? Because they didn't want somebody else. They had this position of power, and they had it kind of all worked out and living pretty good even though they were under Roman rule. They absolutely did not want that to happen, not the hierarchy, if you will. But Jesus, in his parable, he realizes that before long he's going to be going into Jerusalem. And one of the things that's going to be said is it's in Scripture. You can find it 
Also in Luke it says this, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's going to be said about him. But then in a short time after that those things are said on his arrival, then he's going to hear this conversation too with the people, the crowd will actually be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And this person we're talking about is this nobleman, this person of noble birth that's talked about in this scripture. In 15, he was made king, however, and he returned home, as is Jesus, of course. Despite some of the people's beliefs and things of the contrary, Jesus is king. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant. His master replies, Because you've been trustworthy in very small matters, then take charge of ten cities. The second man, he came and he said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. And his master said, Great. Thumbs up to you. Take charge of five cities. Barclay, uh, an older gentleman uh, now to us, long gone, he, he made the statement, he said, that the reward for faithful service isn't rest, but it's more service. And I think, you know, when you're in Christian life, think about what I just said. He said, the reward for Christian service isn't rest. It's more service. And here these people came back. They came back with the minas, you know, get a little pat on the head. Hey, you did good. You brought back that, you know. So as your reward, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of responsibility. Because a lot of times what we think is, well, you do something good, and then you can just kind of sit back on your laurels. I just want to tell you that as an older cat, that's not how it works. We're supposed to be involved in the work. We're supposed to be doing that as long as, as long as we can, until, and unless the Lord tarries, and if he comes back, let's hope we're ready. But we believers are given gifts. We're given gifts, just like these guys. We're given gifts, but they're different, and they're different measures as it was when they came back to make their contribution. In verse 20, then another servant came, and he said, Sir, here is your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in, and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, didn't you, that I'm a hard man, taking it out what I had not put in, and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit, so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said, to those standing by, he said, take this mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, he already has ten. And then the nobleman, Jesus, replied, I tell you that to everyone who has more, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be the king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Well, that's some tough language, isn't it? That's some tough language. If you just take it at, at face value. But the reality is, for every one of us, we will face judgment. Now, you can think what you want to, 
and you can think you kind of live a good life and you kind of move along and I don't know what happens to you. Well, I mean, I know what happens to you, but you may not know what happens to you. But the reality for us is there is a judgment, and that's what Jesus is talking about in this situation. But you have to decide, and that's what this guy that decided, I just, I'm scared to death. I'm so afraid that if I lose it, if I, if I do something wrong, if I try to use my resources, if I try to use my abilities and are not successful, I, who knows what will happen to me. So he decided the best thing he could do was just hide it, just bury it. And see, that's a choice we have to make too. We have to decide one or two things, or just two things. Either you're going to serve him or you're going to oppose him. You don't have five choices, you just got two. You're either going to serve him or you're going to oppose him, just like the men that were trusted with the minas. So see, the main point of, of this parable is although the kingdom was going to be delayed, and, and, and Jesus is trying to tell them that in, in the fabric of this parable, but he said, even if it's delayed, and, and see, we're still waiting for him to come back, right? We're waiting for him to come back. We don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but the reality is we know that he's going to come back. But what he's telling these people, and he's telling us in the means of this uh, parable, is that we have to continue to be servants in the meantime. We're to do business. We're to put our proverbial money to work with the resources he's given us. See, the, the business, if you will, that we're talking about, the business is glorifying this king of kings and then taking the, these, these resources of whatever fashion they are and these resources he's entrusted in to advance the gospel. That's our job as servants is to do that. If you, if you were thinking about a point of self-examination, if you were leaving here today and you're thinking about just thinking through the comments I've made, Scripture tells us as believers that we all have spiritual gifts. One or more. Nobody has them all. So if you have people that tell you that somebody has them all and that you have something that's a spiritual gift, read the list. There's about 19 or 21, depending on how you count them. But if you read that list, you'll find out that nobody has every gift. If someone comes to you and says, you have to exercise that gift. If you don't exercise that gift, you're not a believer. You're not faithful. You don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, that is not scriptural. Read it for yourself. You can go to Corinthians and you can find that out. You'll find that we all, we all have gifts. There are different gifts and of different measures, but together we make up that body. So see, while we wait for this glorious return of the Savior, what he's telling us in this, he said, don't squander your resources. Don't squander your time. Do something good with it. Life isn't about just kind of riding the wagon all the way through life. It's about doing something good with your resources. Use them wisely. I've graciously, this is Christ said, I've graciously given you these things. Don't, don't just sit on them. So I hope each of us will consider this. Like Zacchaeus, no matter your past, no matter the places that you've done what I, what I always call dumb stuff, you can put that in whatever category you want to, but the reality is no matter what dumb stuff you've done, 
this Savior can make you clean again. And if you haven't done that, you need to, you need to step up and you need to, to, to tell the Lord, say, Father, I, I want to surrender my life. I want to surrender my life. I, I don't want to waste it anymore. I have these gifts and resources. I want to put them to work and I accept you as my Savior. I wonder if we should be bold. I was just thinking about Zacchaeus. I mean, he, he lived on the wrong side for a long time. But I'm just thinking, you know, when, when, when he decided to follow the Lord, I mean, that guy, he was all in. He was all in. Because he said, you know, I know I've messed up. I want to fix that problem. He was confessing who, who the Savior was. It, it was important to him. And he, I'm sure he took on some personal uh, not just responsibility, for some risk as a result of that. But I wonder if maybe should we be more bold in our faith? Do the people sitting by us know we're Christians at work, in the marketplace, our neighbors? Is that the life that we lead? Do people see that by watching how we conduct things? See, one day Jesus will return. That's if we don't go to meet him in the advance party. The advance party is the one that are that would that will pass on and go to meet him before the rest of us are taken up but one day Jesus will return but what we don't need to do in the meantime as servants we don't need to hide our proverbial mina we don't need to hide our resources we don't need to set on the things you know sometimes you'll ask well what is what is it that God wants you to do we asked that the other night in our Wednesday night study and you know is there something that God's calling you to do if, if you're not sure what that is, spend some time thinking about what it is. What can you do to move the kingdom forward with the things, the resources, the talents, and the gifts that you've been given? And consider using those things to advance the kingdom. Now, what I've just said is that wasn't me saying that. That was scripture telling us that. We've read that today. We've read that today. We've read about a guy who was all in. He made the decision. I'm going to get down. I'm going to get up in a tree to see. I'm going to get your attention by whatever means I need to. And I'm going to, yes, I don't know what's going to happen, but Jesus did. He said, I'm going to go to your house. You're going to have salvation brought to your home. You're going to make a difference in the people, in your peer group and the people around you. And then the other thing we need to do again it tells the scripture tells us to use the resources. If you're listening out of one ear, you'll say, well, he's talking about my money. Yeah, that's part of it. But your resources are a, are a lot broader than your money. It's your time, it's your talents, it's your heart, doing whatever you can, not looking for notice, but just doing it because that's God's work. Those are the things we're supposed to do. So consider those as you leave today. Using your resources your talents, your gifts, maybe becoming more bold in who you are as far as your faith is concerned. And one day we will meet, meet the advanced party, and I don't, I don't want to be guilty of having set on the mina, and I hope you won't be either. Bow your heads with me as the praise team comes, and we'll finish up. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the message that you've given. I, I don't know how well I presented it, Father, but but the great thing is your word can stand on its own. You've told us, you've given us examples of, of circumstances, of people, of opportunities. You've given us challenges. You've told us 
you know, to, to, to use what I've given you. Don't squander them. Don't sit on them, but use the things I've given you because that's what I want you to do. Your time is spent to, to be invested in advancing the kingdom of God here on earth until God, until the Savior comes again or till we go in that advanced party to meet him. But whatever way is, Lord, again, I just, I just pray that truly that those sitting in here today will be affected by what they've sang today, by what they've heard today, and that we leave out here that our lives won't be the same, that we'll move closer to looking just like you, that we will be those little Christians that the early people talked about in Jesus' name. They all said, Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.